listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Nouvelle. It's not just a job. It's not just a paycheck. Or at least it doesn't have to be. With the help of experts across industries, Dirk helps you find your passion and career, as well as exposing the unknown parts of every vocation. Let's go deep. Let's find your genius zone right now. Here's Dirk Nivelle. Everybody, this is Dirk Nivelle. Welcome to my podcast. Um, on with me is a very, very close friend of mine, Tim Brahim. And I'll be honest, you know, a lot of where I am in my life today is because of Tim. Even the podcast, I mean, you're going to see him speak and see his backdrop. I've learned a lot from him um, in life. And I think I was thinking about how, what I would say in this podcast, but I think Tim like, for, is a great example for me of somebody that, you know, if you have anybody in your life that you can turn to, to, you know, just talk to, like, he's a guy that's really shaped me, helped shape my direction in the last 10, 12 years. And I think it's really important to have someone like that in your life. And, you know, Tim's done a lot of cool things in his life, uh, things that I've watched and I'm just super impressed. But what I really want to start with, and I'm going to let Tim articulate it because he knows best, but Talk a little bit about, uh, Tim, what it is you do in your coaching practice. Um, I know you have a lot of things you're doing, like your podcast, but maybe you could just to the audience, give them an idea of what it is you do, the type of coaching you're doing and, you know, the group that I'm part of, how that came about. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for, for saying that. And it's a mutually reciprocal relationship without question. You're a dear friend and somebody who I turn to um, often when I'm going through my own challenges and I've always appreciated you being there for me. And um, I feel like this is like St. Patrick's Day, man. There's a lot of green going on on your side of the screen over there, your green flannel, your green logo behind you. Congratulations on the show, bro. It's uh, it's an honor to be on your show. Um, well, um, coaching. Yeah. Coaching is uh, it's becoming more and more popular, right? Um, I've been doing it for, about 12 years now, 13 years, um, which is really surprising to me. It's one of my longest careers. I've had a few different careers in my life. And this one is uh, in the next year or so is going to become the longest career that I've ever had. Um, and I really enjoy doing it. I, I fell into it, Dirk. I mean, it wasn't um, wasn't something that I was actively thinking about. Maybe one of the things that we can discuss today as we help people put the puzzle pieces together of of what direction to go in in their career is um, how to really look for the clues that are available to them. And for me, it was, um, I was in the classroom at the University of Santa Monica in my um, second year of my master's degree program in spiritual psychology. And our professor, who was also your professor, Ron Holnick, posed a question to the audience or to the classroom, not the audience, although it was like an audience because there was 250 people in the class. And it was a rhetorical question. He said, what, you know, what is it that makes your heart sing? And I remember that moment and I'll never forget it because I remember sitting there thinking, wow, like that's a really deep question. I mean, that's not what makes you happy. You know, what makes your heart sing really, really resonated with me. And I said, gosh, you know, because at the time, I guess I should mention, I didn't, I wasn't working. I, I was retired and I was just a student in school full time. And I, I, I sat with that question for many months and I landed with three answers. Um, what makes my heart sing is um, I love to travel traveling is and being in other cultures is a passion of mine and it always has been and always will be. I love uh, to teach. Um, I consider myself to be a teacher. I've been teaching even in, when I was a mortgage professional as an, a loan originator. I, I think that's what gave me a competitive edge was that I taught my clients about their financial decisions in a, in a way that others weren't. Um, and then I became a teacher to many loan originators uh, in my second career, which was loan toolbox. Um, and I, and I knew that like, that's always been my calling is to be a teacher or to maybe, maybe more accurately to verbally articulate myself. I'm not a writer. I'm a speaker, if you will. Like I, that's where I'm at my best and what I enjoy the most. Um, 
So whatever wisdom I have, it's better delivered in the spoken word rather than the written word when it comes from me. Um, and then the third was, and this is the most profound one, is that um, I love to create experiences for people and exceed their expectations. And it could be a barbecue in my backyard, um, planning someone's birthday party, or uh, doing an eight-day business and life planning retreat. So I said, wow, like that's, that's three distinctively different things. I don't know exactly what I should do with all of that. And I own this home in Costa Rica that I, the different home that I own now, but in the same neighborhood. And I said, wow, like, what if I did retreats? What if I created these radical experiences for people and help transform their business acumen and their, their life perspective through, you know, curating these experiences. So that's when I started to coach. Um, I started coaching privately in a traditional sense. And you were one of my first clients, which was this one-on-one -on -one over the telephone thing, because we didn't have this medium of video conferencing at the time. I suppose we had Skype, but I mean, it would crash, you know, three, four times in an hour. So it wasn't really worth much. Um, and, and then I started doing these retreats and I quickly realized that there was a great difference for me between doing the retreats and doing the one-on-one -on -one coaching. The retreats were just much more enjoyable for me. It allowed me to tap into my genius in a much more profound way. And it allowed for me to be creative, um, which is another thing that I have since identified. I didn't identify it then, but if I were to answer that question now, uh, there would be a fourth thing on that list is when my creativity is being allowed to have free reign and I can just, dream about something that hasn't maybe been done or that I haven't seen done and, and try to create that. So um, that's how I got into coaching. And that's what I still do. And one of the great things about it was uh, it was at a time in my life when I was missing community. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends. I'm very blessed to say that I have a ton of friends now. Um, and you're one of them. And it's just uh, so it's been a gift to me as well. Uh, that was it. That was amazing. Uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to discuss with you, and this I think is a good time to do it, <clears throat> and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, you know, prior to USM, prior to becoming a coach, you were in my industry <clears throat> and you were one of the top producers in the country. Mm -hmm. And you really did it at a level that not many people did, which is ultimately how I found you. I was trying to up my game and I didn't know how and Fortunately, I had an introduction and I think I met you in Las Vegas. Yep. Um, I remember we were at a, at like a <clears throat> cocktail reception, somebody's suite and had a, had a cocktail together. And that's the first time we ever spoke. Yeah. And I knew who you were. And the funny thing is <clears throat> I'm kind of picky and selective. You know, it took me forever to get married. Not that I don't have an amazing wife, but like I, I was, wasn't thinking I would like you as much as I did. Like I was, I was a little bit judgmental and I was skeptical and I was thinking this guy is a, you know, a rock star in the mortgage industry. <clears throat> but I remember meeting you and I'm just like, wow, this guy is like a guy that I could really um, trust and I feel safe with. And the, 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 the thing though, I guess what backing, backing up a little bit, the thing that I wanted to get on is, so you were in this high pressure, high sales, doing a lot of volume. And then you decide to go to Italy for a year and then you go to University of Santa Monica, which I did as well for just one year. It was a real 180. And like, and again, I don't want to, if, if you don't think I'm correct in saying that, but like you really kind of went from vanilla to chocolate. Like it was very different. And part of this podcast is trying to get people to take inventory of how they're feeling and mm -hmm kind of what lights them up. Um, mm -hmm. What was the catalyst? I mean, that wasn't like you were going from mortgages to financial services. I mean, you went from, mm -hmm. you know, mortgage to like spiritual psychology. And yeah. I guess I want to get behind that a little bit. And, and what was the catalyst for that? I don't know if I ever told you this before, but like back in the, in the day, you know, which was a long time ago now, like in the nineties, maybe some of your listeners, probably a lot of your listeners weren't even alive then. Um, I, I used to go to all these mortgage conferences, you know, to learn how to be better and to, and then eventually I started to become a teacher at those conferences. And I would, I fairly quickly was fortunate to insert myself in, in 
the group at those conferences of other teachers, people who are, you know, really successful and rub elbows with them. And we always have these like conversations over a meal or whatever about what book you're reading. And, you know, everybody was like reading like Jack Welsh's book and Good to Great and The E-Myth and all these books that were business related books, you know, Never Eat Alone, you know, you know, the five dysfunctions of a team. I remember all those books being thrown out at me and, and I always felt like, like a complete oddball, like somebody who didn't belong in those conversations because they would say like, you know, have you read this book? Have you read that book? What'd you think? I'd be like, I didn't read it. And they'd be like, well, what do you read? And I'm like, man, I just got done reading, you know, the seven spiritual laws of success by Deepak Chopra or Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance or the power of compassion by the Dalai Lama or whatever. I, mean, I was reading all these Eastern spiritual books, you know, Eastern philosophy, asking myself a lot of the bigger questions. I went from being a, a Catholic born, you know, to Catholic high school, raised Catholic. Then I became an atheist for a couple of years. Uh, just, you know, that, that somewhat typical rejection of what was, you know, placed upon you. Um, to then realizing that's silly. I mean, I do think there's a higher power and I just kind of became spiritual or agnostic, like, like really curious about all religions and all, all faiths and all philosophies. And it was through that, that I really started to like that, like always lit me up. And I think that this is an important question that you've asked for your listeners, because I never forgot about that. Like even even when I started to become really successful and really busy and then started my second company and was working two jobs, running two companies and, you know, not enough time to read the newspaper, much less read a book um, and sneaking in a meditation here and there, if I could, um, I always knew that that was my interest. Like it never, I never lost that interest. It's just that I didn't make it a priority to pursue it. And I strayed away from it and got very much into achievement. Uh, but whenever I'd have a vacation with my family and I'd like buy a book to read, I'd always buy that kind of a book because I knew it was healthy for me. Um, and I think that that's really an important footnote because when I went through my divorce in my early 40s after I had retired, um, I was in a, a moment of, of change and some would call it crisis in my life. And I was searching for answers. And that's when... Nicole Albini, who you know, sent me the email to University of Santa Monica and he said, Hey, have you ever heard of this program? And I didn't like, I don't know if I ever told you this, but like, I didn't even go to an information evening to find out about the university and the curriculum. I just literally called them up and said, what do I need to do to apply? Like I knew in that moment, I mean, it called to me and I listened. And I think that's a really important part of what we need to be talking about here, I suppose, is how to identify what's really calling to you and to trust it and to pursue it and to not second guess it and to not talk yourself out of it and to not get into that dialogue about, yeah, but I can't make money doing this or, you know, because those are where the opportunities for your life's path are missed is when you don't listen to the inner voice that is wise and that really knows and oftentimes, bro, I think that that inner voice is speaking to us throughout our life, even like in our adolescence and life gets busy, the mind gets busy and we forget about some of the things that are the, are the breadcrumbs, you know, the clues of where you need to be going. So I followed it. I was lucky enough to trust my intuition and follow it. And then, you know, that evolved ultimately in having a coaching practice, which was never the intent. So <clears throat> trying to think how to articulate this <clears throat> as a lender, knowing the business, you know, so often we're in our heads and we're trying to be, be productive, be successful. And what I've learned uh, over the years, just through schooling and meditation and a lot of the, the stuff I've learned from you <clears throat> is the real beauty and the real value comes when I can get out of my head and into my heart and that's verbiage that you and I use often, which might sound a little odd to a 25, 24 year old listening to this right now, but how, how difficult, like, cause you know, we all have these voices and we all have these people in our lives that we feel like, okay, your dad wants you to be a doctor and your mom wants you to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you just don't know what the hell you want to do. Um, but like you were in this industry at a very high level in your head often. And I, my guess, Correct me if I'm wrong, but 
I don't know how much opportunity there was to be in your heart. And then now you're in this completely different industry career. And I see you so often in your heart. How hard is it to kind of let go of being in your head when it served you so well for so many years? And I'm sure there's opportunities in your coaching practice to where you have to be in your head. But do you, do you see where I'm going on this? Like, yeah. is, it a, is it a really difficult thing to separate the two? It is. It is. Uh, it, it's such a great question for today because I was journaling on this this morning, actually, uh, related to something different from work, relating to something else that's going on in my life where it's had me in my head. And I realized that um, that's just not the path that I want to be on ultimately. And it can be very difficult for me. I can get caught up still to this day and what I call falling asleep, you know, like falling back into the old pattern of being, you know, focused solely on conquering and achieving and having material uh, success, you know, and, and I do feel the difference. Like lately I've been extremely busy and I do feel the difference very much where I'm like, oh man, I, I'm, I'm moving too fast. I'm up in that head of mine on a really consistent basis right now. And I don't like the feeling. I think what happens is that when you think about it, we're all in our heart and not in our head when we're really young. I mean, that's what playfulness is. That's what joy is. That's what silliness is. Um, laughter, presence, all of that stuff that you had a lot of in your life when you were five, six years old, unless you grew up in a, in a home that was abusive or, or, you know, that was turbulent, which requires you to be in your head. You go into your head to plan, to keep yourself safe, to be strategic, and it serves you in business for sure. And I would never discount that. I mean, it's, it's definitely a superpower of mine that I can go there. And yet at the same time, life isn't as enjoyable for me, at least when I'm there all the time. So I have to build in um, some very clearly designed uh, strategies, if you will, or, or requirements for me to check out of the head and get into my heart more. Um, it, it's a process. Um, you know, it, it took me a long time. If you would have met me, you know, 10 years before, you would have found me to be a very different person without question, much more intense, still have the ability to be that way. Uh, but, but living in that realm on a pretty consistent basis, um, I actually see it with Trey, my son, who, you know, you know, Trey is very, uh, he's 24 years old. He's, he's on a, his, you know, cultivating his career path right now. And, He's a very naturally empathic, compassionate, heart-centered man. And it's one of the things that I love so much about him and that's so beautiful. We had dinner last night. It's just really nice to connect with him for a couple hours without interruption. And I see him trying to build his career right now, and I see him spending more time in his head. Um, and that's, that's okay. It's just as long as we don't forget about that other aspect of ourselves that's still there and what really brings joy to our lives. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, connecting with other people is the essence of, of what life is about, I think. I mean, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's practice and you have to do things in with intentionality to strike that balance. So I'd like to go down this road a little bit longer if that's okay with you so yeah, yeah. go anywhere you know, this <clears throat> these are words and these are conversations you and i have had for a while you know and at 52 it took me a lot of years to kind of feel safe enough to kind of think this way so i imagine if you're 24 or 25 or maybe you're 35 and you're going through a career change and you like what you're hearing but it sounds a little strange you know in your heart being in your loving what are some examples of like is there any advice that you can give to the audience in terms of maybe trying to examine that for themselves? Uh, you, know, you mentioned there's a couple of things that you do to, to kind of get into your heart. But, you know, you and I have had many years of experience in schooling and meditation and, you know, but for somebody in their 20s, they probably haven't. So how does somebody get in their heart to maybe get clear on maybe their life work or what they want to do uh, in terms of a job. Um, you know, that might sound really weird or strange to somebody, but can you break it down in a simpler format? Yeah. I mean, I think that it's the application of both. Like, I don't, I think that 
there are a lot of people that are in their heart almost 100% of the time and have a difficult time with financial success and building a career because they don't have that strategic thinking ability that's required in the Western world, at least, to find, you know, material success. Um, so I, I, I don't want to paint this picture that one's bad and the other one's good. They're, they're both needed in their in, in an idealized sense. You, you, you have access to both and you can toggle between the two, but it's a practice regardless of which side you're leaning more heavily towards its practice to spend time in the other realm. Right. So, and for those that are in this process of trying to figure out their career and might be going, this is all great, but like, you know, I need to, I need to get shit done. Right. Like I need to have a, a, a business here that I need to run and I need to, to, to get, get my act together. My, my response is just be clear. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm saying, what if you combine the two, like what, what would be available and accessible to you in terms of a career if you were to really be able to spend time in both realms on a pretty consistent basis? So to answer your question directly, I think it's different for everyone. I think that your childhood and your adolescent years and your, 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 your late teens and early 20s provide you with clues, okay? So for instance, um, when I was eight, I said, I'm, I'm a diehard Dodger fan. I've been a Dodger fan since I was a little boy. I said to my dad, I was listening to, I used to listen to games every night on the radio and Vin Scully, for those that know who that is, he's the greatest sportscaster of all time. I was blessed to have, I was blessed to grow up with him. I mean, every night I would listen to him. I said to my dad one day, I said, Hey dad, I said, is, uh, does Vin Scully get to go to the games for free? And he like started laughing and he was like, does he get to go to the games for free? They pay him to be at the games. And I said, well, that's what I want to do that, right there. Like at eight, I knew I, that's what I want to do. And I would practice like my dad and I uh, would do these bogus interviews where I'd pretend that I was Howard Cosell. And I used to do these like really good Howard Cosell imitations when I was like eight, nine years old and we'd tape record them. I wish I still had those. Let's hear and it right now, Howard. Well, hello everyone. This is Howard Cosell speaking. It's the first time I've done that in a long time. I don't know if that sounded very good. It sounds good. And um, and and then throughout my my teenage years, bro, I would practice. I'd, I'd close the sliding door to my parents' family room. I'd put on the UCLA football game on mute, and and I'd record into the tape recorder. And then when I got my driver's license, I would drive out to Dodger Stadium by myself, and I'd sit out in the nosebleed seats, and I'd bring the tape recorder, and I'd listen to it on the way home. And when I went to high school, like I knew that's that's where I'm going to be, and and like there was never a question. And then I went to school, and I got a, and, and in college, and I went to a good good journalism school. And I, you know, I majored in, in, in broadcast journalism and I, I was the play-by-play -play announcer for my college on the radio and, and, and all of that. And I'm not doing that now. Okay. But here's the thing is that I am doing it now. I'm just doing it in a different medium and in a different forum. Like I do a lot of, I do a podcast, I do a lot of videos. Um, I used to be a public speaker. I'm accessing those same talents and skills and passions and interests and desires that I had. I mean, I, I knew that like I could think quickly on my feet and articulate and string words together very fast. I, I, I identified that as a gift and I practiced it at a very young age, way before I was ever even in high school, post-college when I tried to get into sports broadcasting and the economy was in a deep recession in 1990. And then I fell into the mortgage business. I still took those skills and used them to be a good orator and a good educator. I was able to teach people about their financial decisions and to put words together in a way to where it made sense to them. I'm still accessing those same capabilities. So my point is that if you're trying to figure out who you're going to be, what you're going to do. Sometimes if you're, if you're too locked into it, bro, like you're, you're like, like you're in your head and you're, and you're, and you're trying to like figure out this puzzle. Sometimes it really helps to take a few steps back and get some elevation from it, get to about 50,000 feet and look at the landscape with a bit more of a curious lens about, huh? So what are the things that light me up? What are the things that I'm good at? What are the things that have always come kind of naturally to me, easy to me? So if you're a naturally compassionate and present person, 
then maybe pursuing a career in coaching or psychotherapy or human resources, <clears throat> excuse me, could be, could be something to, to parlay that into, you know, if you're naturally, were always good in high school and middle school with numbers, like math was easy and you scored well on the SAT and all that. It's like maybe, and, and you love it more importantly, that's the key thing. It's not just that you're good at it, but you love it. The two oftentimes correlate, but sometimes are different. Then maybe being a financial analyst or, you know, an accountant or something like that is where you need to be. My point is just in closing is look back and ask yourself rhetorically the question from your heart, like what it, like what, what shifts my energy in a positive way when I'm doing it? What makes me feel good inside? What lights me up? Like I said before, and makes me really, uh, it's like I gain energy when I'm engaged in it. That's your clue. Not what your parents told you sh you should do, you know? Um, <clears throat> but what, you know, I'm also naturally a very competitive person, too competitive sometimes. I mean, even still this day, like, I mean, I, I could be fiercely competitive. And I remember my dad, when I asked him if I could borrow money to start my first business, which was just my mortgage company, he was like really nervous for me because my dad was like, you know, he's an employee his whole life. And he's like, oh, I really don't know if this is a good idea. And I know I don't, I think this is a big risk. And I remember feeling like, oh, okay, that's all I needed to hear to motivate me. I'm going to, I'm going to show my dad that I've got what it takes. If you know that you're a naturally competitive person, then how do you put yourself in a position to where that competitive spirit comes out in you and you can leverage it? Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. A lot of good stuff. There's a couple of things. One is I want to kind of talk about the competitiveness in the coaching curriculum or your coaching practice, where that comes out. Um, but I also want to, one of the things that, you know, it's funny, there's so many people that we call it swipe and adapt. There's so many things I find myself saying that I learned from Tim and other people. So coach, so Tim coaches some of the best. It's also uh, known as thievery, by the way. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> but I'm an honest thief. I, I don't mind. I'm not, I'm not taking credit for it, but Tim coaches some of the um, best women and men in the mortgage industry. Uh, some, I mean, I, I'm part of this group. I'm taking a little break, um, but like they are super uber talented and they keep coming back because you know tim is tim is obviously very skilled in the industry but i think we're your real genius zone and by the way the whole genius zone thing is another thing that tim exposed me to through gay Hendricks, who was one of his guests on his podcast so but you you've done these, these people that keep coming back i mean they're not people i mean they're the best they're the top top i mean they're very talented and I've been blessed just to be exposed to them. And, you know, every one of them I learned something from. But one of the things that you would say a lot to us in, in our group meetings, and we would meet twice a year and we'd have monthly Zoom calls, et cetera, is, you know, what are, what, I'm, I'm going to butcher it like Tommy Boy here, but when, you know, when, when you, um, the best version of yourself, like when people are like, really attracted like what what do you do what, what how do you say that when you be when you're your best version of yourself and people recognize that it's typically you're coming from a place of doing something in your genius zone or something that lights your fire do you know what i'm getting at yeah there's a really cool little exercise that um i would suggest everybody do which is go to five people in your life. And if you want to make it 10, even better, and just simply ask them the question, you could email them or just ask them in person say, what is it that you see me do that when I come back from doing it, I'm a better version of myself. I'm a happier version of myself. You'll get a lot of great feedback. I mean, I remember asking that question to my kids and my daughter, Olivia said, whenever you go to your retreats, whenever you go to your retreats, you come back, you're always happy for a couple of days. Okay. Well, that's important feedback. Okay. So what is it about those retreats? You got to keep peeling the layers of the onion back, right? So if, you know, identifying like what's the deeper aspect of what's happening at those retreats? Well, it's a lot of things, community, friendship, helping people 
planning something that exceeds their expectations, surprising people, like all of those things are joyful for me. So as the listener, I would, I would, uh, I would suggest that you go to five to 10 people in your life and ask them, you know, this question and then notate and start looking for, it's a puzzle. It's just a, it's like somebody just threw a bunch of puzzle pieces onto a table and then you have to put the puzzle together and really ponder it and contemplate, okay, what are the common denominators here? Yeah. What is it about when I do that, that I love? Cause that could be a real big clue as to what you should be doing for a living. I love it. So let's bounce back into the whole coaching career that you've you're you're deep in right now and i know that it's not just a tim thing i mean you have an exceptional um group of people that you work with and it's the recurring theme a lot on these podcasts is people are really happy based on who they're working with and and i think that's a big thing like you know my advice is you may love a job but if you're with the wrong boss or the wrong team or whatever it might be a different experience but tim has um created he's always attracted great people but he's got a an exceptional group that he works with um but you know you know you you knew what you're getting yourself into as a coach you 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 had an idea you had a vision but what are some of the things that have surprised you like if somebody's like thinking hmm this sounds really cool and i have always wanted to coach i want to be a life coach or a business coach and that's what i'm going to do well what have you learned that kind of threw you is there anything not like a cautionary thing where you would push somebody away from entering this career field but is there anything that surprised you good or bad that you might want to share with the audience um, first of all, I, I want to just corroborate something you said, which is I have an amazing team. Like I'm so lucky to work with, you know, Scott and Julie and Sarah and Andre and Doreen. I mean, they're unbelievable. Um, and we've been together for a long time now. Um, and that sure helps when you, when you can put together a team of people that you have longevity with, you know, it makes, it makes the business more successful. Ultimately that longevity, it's a secret weapon. And you're sorry to interrupt you, but also your crew in Costa Rica. Well, yeah, Levy and yes, absolutely. Well, Andrea for sure. And yeah, I mean, no, no question. I mean, we have, you know, Gabriel, et cetera. Um, so, um, you know, I think that it's interesting because my wife, Liz, who, you know, uh, she went and got a, um, a coaching certification in functional medicine. She's a nurse and she was thinking that she'd like to be a coach and she, you know, did this class for a year and got her certification. And I think she would be a phenomenal coach because Liz is very present, heart-centered, good listener, possesses a lot of really wonderful natural skills that make a good coach. But I kept asking her when she was going through the certification, are they teaching you how to sell yourself? Are they teaching you how to promote yourself, how to get business. And the answer was always no. And I told her, I said, that's going to be, that's going to be the challenge. You know, that's going to be the thing that we need to really look at. And, you know, here we are two, two years later and she's decided not to pursue it because of that. And that's certainly no discredit to her. It's not her personality to sell herself. And so coaching is, there's two parts to it, right? There's being a good coach. And then there's the business part to it, which is how do you market yourself? How do you sell yourself? How do you price yourself? The challenging thing about coaching for some can be that it butts right up against the insecurity that one might have of themselves. And they're like this question that can get asked, which is what do I have to offer this person to be able to charge them for my time? So at the end of the day, in any type of sales situation, so if you're, if you're going into anything that requires you to sell anything, the key is for you to have the most knowledge and confidence and certainty in the product that you're selling. If that product happens to be you, then there's a real inside job that needs to happen, which is to have the confidence and certainty of your value to be able to present it to the world and to do it with confidence, which is required for them to say, yes, why would you want to coach with somebody who doesn't believe in themselves? Right. And it was the same as an, a loan originator. I mean, I used to always say the hardest question that you will ever get asked is why you that's, that's the toughest question right there. 
And if you can't answer that, because it's a it's a super delicate dance because you're it's a setup because you're being asked to display your confidence, not your arrogance, not your overconfidence, hmm. not your bragging of yourself. So it's a very delicate fine line of how do you present why you're good and worthy of that person's business without being too heavy handed with patting yourself on the back. And, and that's, the, that's the work right there. So that's what I would say. And, and that kind of extends beyond coaching. Of course, that's, that goes to a lot of different industries. I'm tempted to ask, and I hope you don't get mad at me, but like, if I was to ask you that question, why you as a coach, um, could you kind could you answer that question right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the first thing that I would always do when I was an originator and a coach is, and, and still would do is deflect the answer to that question to my team. It's so much easier for me to sell my team and then to sell my background that I was blessed enough to experience. So it sounds something like, well, you know, first of all, I'm really, really lucky that I have an amazing team of people around me that make me look good. Um, I have two other coaches, Scott Bertone and Julie Wikes, who are wonderful at what they do. And between the three of us, we really care about our clients. We care about their well-being and we care about making sure that what we are coaching them on um, is what they need and that we're one step ahead of what they need. The second thing is I was really lucky to be introduced to a university many years ago um, called the University of Santa Monica. And I got a, a master's degree in spiritual psychology and I learned so much about psychology and how to help people there. And then lastly is I'm just really fortunate to have had some success in business and to have, you know, built and sold, you know, four companies. And through that, I've developed a, a lot of business acumen. So I kind of bring that combination of those skills and my team to the equation, which makes us, uh, or makes, makes my offering, I think a little bit unique, but notice that I'm, I'm giving credit to others mostly throughout that, which is that fine line of humility, right? It's like, I don't want to cross that line and sound insecure or like I'm having to sell me because that's always tough to do. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, I, you know, I'm not a, an experienced coach like you, but one of the things I've, I've learned is, is it's hard to not, it, I want to give advice and I want to, you know, and I've coached people and, and often I'm trying to help them so one of the things I think with coaching that's difficult is you might have a lot of wisdom and insight, but can you speak to the, the, the whole, um, not, you know, shutting up and letting the client come to their own conclusion. I mean, there's probably many times, maybe with me, even you, you knew the answers and you could have said them, but you kind of, that defeats, I think the, the point of coaching. Yeah. I don't think that I, I mean, it's even debatable as to whether or not I'm really a coach at the end of the day, bro. I think that the difference is there's coaches and there's consultants and then there's teachers. I think I kind of, I think I could be called all three of those. Um, not because I'm special, but because I actually toggle between the three all the time. There are times for sure where I will get off a coaching session and I'll be like, man, I talk too much. I gave too much advice. I mean, a truly skilled coach like Julie is, as an example, is someone who asks really intelligent, open-ended questions that help unlock the answers inside that person. That person's ability to discover the truth to their own answers is really a powerful moment. I do it sometimes. I do it effectively sometimes. And then there's times where, you know, somebody comes in hot, they're in crisis, in a, in, in a coaching session, they're struggling with something. I know what they need to be doing. I have some perspective to offer to them and maybe I don't have enough time to ask enough questions, or maybe that's just my bullshit excuse. And, and, and maybe I'm just in a hurry myself and I will just give them answers. And it's something that I'm constantly working on. I, I don't profess to be outstanding in that area. Yeah. I, well, I've been with you for a long time and, and I don't know how many people I would have let in and you did the trick with me. Cause I don't think I'm the same guy I was, uh, you know, 12, 13 years ago. So I, uh, I've definitely we, seen a lot of change in, in, a, in a very beautiful way in you, bro. Thank you. As we wind this down, um, one of the questions I'm, I, I want it to kind of be a free conversation, but I also want there to be some consistency. And one of the questions I'm asking all of my guests is, 
you know, the non-negotiables that your non-negotiables, as far as a career, like they're different for everybody. You know, I've, I've heard people say they need to make an impact. I've heard freedom, freedom of time. Uh, I've heard no cap on compensation. There's just a lot of reasons, a lot of things people need in a career for you as a coach or a business owner of a coaching practice, what are two or three of the the non-negotiables that like you must have as far as your job? Yeah. Um, I suppose that's changed over time, right? Like the older that I've gotten there's my non-negotiables have shifted. Um, also it's impacted by your financial position. I mean, if you're, if you're in a, in a pretty good financial position, you can have afford to have a bit more liberal non-negotiables uh, or different ones. Um, so in my current state, um, it is freedom to travel. So I, I can't be locked into a rigid schedule that requires my time. Like, um, and, and that could mean like, I don't see, I, I don't really look at, days of the week from a work perspective, like I'll work on a Sunday, no problem, because sometimes I don't work on a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like I just, I, I get to choose kind of, you know, when I want to block some time out and say, you know, like tomorrow morning, I'm leaving for New York with, with Liz and the kids and I'm going to be there for five days and, and I'm not going to work when I'm there. Um, and I'll make it, I'll make it up. I worked not very much yesterday, Sunday, but I, I did work a pretty full day Saturday in preparation for that. You know I mean? So having that flexibility, um, so I can travel and so I can make my own schedule is like fiercely important to me. Um, I, I too, like whoever else shared this, realized a long time ago that I do not do well working for someone else. And I do not do well having a cap on or a ceiling on my capabilities. I used to work for, my dad was a manager of a supermarket in Southern California. So my first job or my second job was I worked at, at a supermarket. It's the one that he worked at. And I worked there for, I didn't work with him, but I worked there for like six years. You know, I worked my way up and I was actually making more than all my friends in high school and into my early twenties. I was, you know, I was making some, some decent money. I mean, um, for, for a 21 year old, but I, this goes back to the competitive part. So I used to try to figure out how to screw off as much as I possibly couldn't get away with it in that job. Like I would, I was a vagrant, man. I'd like, you know, I'd be like supposed to be, you know, stocking the produce and I'd be in the back room listening to the Dodger game, you know, and it, it just passing the time. And then I'd punch out and I was lazy. Um, and then as soon as I got into the mortgage business, which was the first business that I ever didn't have a salary or, a, or an hourly income, but didn't have a glass ceiling. It just brought out an entirely different aspect of my personality. It was amazing. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like this competitive and com competition with myself came out and I started to strategically think about how to get better and how I could grow and what could be. And it, it just really, you know, lit a fire under me. And it's always been that way. Like I'm always better in that state. So a part of it is to know your own personality really well and to understand, are you that person? My, my wife, so Liz is, is very much the opposite. Like she's never been in a position that doesn't pay her an hourly rate as a nurse. And even when I've tried to encourage her to be in, to, to consider doing things that have a bit more entrepreneurial component to it, it actually really like paralyzes her. It's not, it's not her temperament. So knowing yourself and knowing what really does it for you is important. Try to think if there's any other non-negotiables in closing. Um, yeah, just the freedom of, of calendar and the freedom to, 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 to control my own destiny income wise. Um, yeah, those two things. Well, I would say also, I mean, I feel like you're making, you're changing lives, you know, not only are you helping people in the business world, but I think at the end of the day, you are helping people live more joyful lives in terms, I mean, I don't think, I think that's the tribe that you attract. You have very successful professionals, but we don't just talk about work. We talk about a lot of inner work and there's a lot of personal stuff that we go over. And I think to me, my opinion is that's where your true genius is. Um, and it's hard to hold a space where people feel safe enough to say the things we say, right? On our, our events and retreats. I mean, we have some pretty deep conversations and 
you know, going back to our original topic when we first started about getting out of your head and your heart, a lot of people don't feel safe getting into your heart, but I think you create an environment that makes people feel very safe going there. And then that's, I don't think that's easy to do. So. Yeah, thank you. And I humbly agree. I think that's one of the things that we do really well. Um, and I think it's really important. And I learned that in school, you know, again, so I give credit to the university of Santa Monica for that, for sure. Um, yeah, I do. And you, you mentioned Gay Hendricks earlier in, in my podcast episode with him. One of the things that I had shared with him and he kind of lit up when I said it is I said, you know, one of the most elegant experiences that I've ever had in my life is just when I get to be a witness to somebody getting free. Like to me, that's like one of the most, it brings me to tears. It's one of the most beautiful things that I ever get to see is, and I, and, and that is a, very much a part of my job and I'm very grateful for it is when I say getting free, I mean like everything from dropping an old story, an old judgment about themselves to um, getting free from a belief that they're not capable of something in their career and, and, and that they can do something different and, and have success from it. Um, that is truly a privilege uh, to to be able to, to watch that happen and to help facilitate that occurrence. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so a couple more and we'll wind this down. Uh, this is a question I ask, and sometimes it's a typical response, but if you could go back coming out of school, you know, would you do anything different? And I know that's, you know, some people take the road of, you know, I learned what I learned and it got me to where I am today, but knowing what you know now about your temperament, your interests, and I know they evolve over time. You're a different person now than you were when you were 24, 25, but would you do it different? Would you, would you go 180 and do something completely different? Yeah, it's, that's a tricky question because there, there is this side of me absolutely that feels like every single thing that I've done has led me to this exact moment. And I'm very grateful for where I am. Um, yeah. But, and then there's this other part of me that's like, I wish I would have done this differently. And then I'm acutely aware of the fact that embedded within that can be some self-criticism and self-judgment that I want to steer clear of. Right. So um, I would say that, yeah, if I could do it all over again, I would um, stay on my personal development and spiritual development path in my, in my twenties and thirties, because you know, like the last half of my twenties and the, you know, most of my thirties, I was, I was out of balance. I, I, and I, and I wish I could pull back 10% of that because I don't regret what I accomplished and how I've been able to provide for my family. Um, and, and, and all of that, and all the amazing and wonderful experiences I've been able to have in my life. I'm so grateful and blessed. Um, and at the same time, if I could shave 10% off that intensity towards achievement and, and, and allocate that to a little bit more connection and presence, uh, cause there have been times where I haven't felt like I was a really good friend. Like, like I, I, I made my work goals more important than being there for somebody that I wish I would have been there for. Um, I can't get it back. I can only learn from it and try to on a go forward basis, not forget that lesson. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Is there a dream job? Like even one that you might not want to admit to the, the buddy, your buddies at, you know, around the fire drinking wine or something like porn, is there porn? Yeah. Is it? Well, I think Trey with his mustache has a better, I think that's, that's a good look by the way, but is there a dream job? Like, I mean, I, I have an idea maybe I, um, maybe what it might be, but like, what would Tim, what would be like heaven on earth for you? Hmm. I want to say that I'm doing it. Um, it wouldn't be very far off from what I'm doing if it were something else. Um, okay. Let's just say you can't coach. You can't talk about spiritual curriculum. Okay. You can't, you can't do God just says, sorry, Tim, that's off the yeah. table. You got it. You can't be mortgages. What, what is just something that's just crazy out of bounds that you're like, you go to bed at night and you put a smile on your face and something. Well, you know, I always have this wonder in the back of my mind of what it would have been like to actually be a sportscaster. Um, I don't think I would trade because 
I think that that was a tough road for probably a decade of living in a lot of small towns and bouncing around and probably not having a family and all that. But damn, you know, the NCAA championship games on tonight and sure shit would be great to be sitting courtside doing the play by play for that. I mean, basketball was my best sport. I was, I was very good at it because it's fast and I can think quick. Um, so there is this part of me that sometimes wonders, huh, what would it have been like if I would have been like working for CBS tonight and calling the game? That would be pretty cool. Cool. So I remember I did a little research on your basketball skills and like you had this, like you would close your eyes and do a hook shot from like the three point line. That was that your shot, your kind of thing? I have no idea what you're talking about, man. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I did a hook shot in my life. I, I played through through high school. I, I played varsity basketball in high school, but I was mostly a good ball handler and a good free throw shooter and played tough D. But yeah, I was. I'm it. kidding, but I was curious what your like your skills were, like your strength in in hoops. Was it defense? I just out hustled everybody. Like yeah. I I, w I wasn't really that talented, but I, I mean, I couldn't shoot the rock was my problem. I could go, I could go to my left really well and I'm right-handed. So I could go both right or left. Uh, and I was, I was fast. So, um, but yeah. I was, I was not able to like, you know, I didn't have hops and I couldn't really get up there. I think I averaged like eight or nine points a game in my senior year. Cool, man. No, you're a great athlete. You know, Tim, when Tim, him and I, like, when I met Tim, he was more, you know, he was a, he was my coach, but we've really become very close friends and we have so many similarities in terms of our interests, you know, in terms of movies, music, sports. Um, it's just, it's really fun just because, you know, we just were doing the, uh, the, the college tournament that just ended and congratulations I was on winning the pool. Yeah. I, I, I never win those. So I feel pretty good. But uh, anyways, I've really, you know, Tim, Tim's range is really impressive. Like there's just nothing I don't think he does well. Um, but I just wanted to say thanks, Tim, for being on. Yeah, thank You've you. been a big part of my life. You've been a big part of many people's life. And when I think of success, you know, I think you're living it right now. And um, I hope that you're proud of yourself. I know that you're a driver, uh, but I hope there's moments where you take it in and you realize how much you've done for people, especially me. So Thank you for saying that, bro. I appreciate it very much. And I, and I will take that in. It makes All right, me buddy. feel really good. Thank you very much for being on. You're welcome. Thank you. All right.